Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Iris and to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, January 11th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Let's take a look at the weather forecast for today. This comes from KCRG in Cedar Rapids. Watch for fog early this morning. Another day of 30s and 40s is ahead. Fog is fickle, and we'll see it affecting portions of eastern Iowa once again today. Thus far, clouds have helped keep thick fog at bay, though just prior to sunrise, a few thicker banks of fog may occur. This will need to be watched as we head to school and work yet again this morning. As of now, no drizzle has occurred, which is good news. Looking ahead today, plan on some breaks in the clouds once any fog lifts, and we'll have highs into the 30s north and 40s south. A cold front will move through the area tonight with a chance of patchy wintry mix. At this time, impacts look low. You'll notice the somewhat cooler temps and the wind coming up a bit for tomorrow, though. Plan on continued nice January weather for the weekend. Looking at the stories on the front page of the Courier today, they include 3.3% spending boost proposed, another year for Waverly Shell Rock in northeast Iowa, funding provided for free eye exams, and let's begin reading the lead story on the condition of the state address last night, and it's titled, Reynolds Pushes School Choice. Governor Expands Plan to Give Public Funding to Private Education. Dateline Des Moines. Governor Kim Reynolds used her sixth condition of state address and larger Republican majorities in the legislature to double down on and expand her push for school choice legislation. Reynolds, in her annual address to the joint session of the Iowa House and Senate on Tuesday night, outlined a new plan to devote more public tax dollars to subsidize private school tuition, stating Iowa parents need more choices for their children's education. Quote, Our first priority in this legislative session, and what I will be focusing on over the next four years, is making sure that every child is provided with a quality education that fits their needs, unquote, Reynolds said. Reynolds's new proposal would devote the entire state per-pupil funding dedicated to each K-12 Iowa student, and that amounts to $7,598, in the form of an education savings account to those students who choose to attend private school. The program would be phased in over three years, prioritizing kindergarten and low-income students in the first two years. In the third year, all private school students would be eligible for the savings accounts. Public schools would receive $1,200 for any student who opts to leave for a private school and for any student who lives in the district and attends a private school. The governor's office estimated roughly 14,000 students would be eligible for the program in the first year, which would cost the state $106.9 million. Reynolds's previously proposed allocating a portion of the per-pupil funding $5,360 for 10,000 scholarships available for covering costs for attending a private or charter school. The program was proposed originally to be for low-income students only. It's a significant expansion from what Reynolds proposed last year, 
which failed to gain support in the Iowa House. House Republicans have pushed back on the voucher program in the past two years. Rural school districts fear the proposal would sap state aid to public schools and limit course offerings, lead to larger class sizes, and force more school consolidations. While previous so-called school choice proposals died in the House, Republican Speaker Pat Grassley has been more optimistic about something passing this year. He formed a new committee to address education policy and said the legislation will be House Republicans' top priority this session. The proposal was a major plank of Reynolds' 2022 re-election campaign. The governor said her focus continues to be on raising the quality of education in every school and for every child, and that parental choice in education is not a zero-sum game. Quote, this isn't about money, Reynolds said, noting Iowa has increased school funding by $1 billion in the past decade, and that other states spend less with better or similar results. Quote, it's also not about public versus private schools, the governor said. Quote, if we're really going to make sure that every child has a quality education, then we have to set aside this us-versus-them mentality. We have incredible public schools filled with amazing, dedicated teachers, Reynolds said, noting her daughter is among them. But every child is an individual who deserves an education tailored to their unique needs, and parents are in the best position to identify the right environment, unquote. Reynolds also proposed allowing for more flexibility in how public schools can use state-provided dollars, including to increase teacher salaries. Quote, right now, there is almost $100 million earmarked for specific programs that remains unspent in school districts across Iowa, he said. Let's focus on making sure we reward those teachers who work so hard to make a difference in our children's lives, unquote. Abortion. Reynolds did not outline plans for further efforts to restrict abortion, but called on lawmakers to add to the $500,000 the legislature allocated last year toward funding nonprofit organizations that encourage alternatives to abortion. These organizations provide services such as pregnancy and adoption counseling. Reynolds called for funding to provide nonprofit grants to assist at-risk fathers and promote paternal involvement, as well as mentorship for school-age males. Maisie Stilwell, Director of Public Affairs for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Iowa, said the women's clinics have a long and documented history of misleading women and misrepresenting themselves as legitimate medical providers. Republican leaders of both the House and Senate have said they plan to work on expanding the program this legislative session. The governor also called on lawmakers to fund two specialty hospitals that use local primary care providers to connect rural patients with obstetric and gynecological care. Lawmakers in 2021 funded two such centers of excellence in Carroll and Grinnell. Reynolds, as well, proposed funding for obstetric fellowships for primary care doctors to help address the critical demand for services in rural Iowa. She also announced increased funding for a healthcare apprenticeship program created last year, taking it from 3 to $15 million. Opioid deaths. 
The governor also proposed increasing penalties for manufacturing and distributing fentanyl, including double to triple the current sentence for fentanyl sales that led to a deadly overdose or where a minor is present. Quote, that means longer sentences and higher fines, even where the quantity is small, Reynolds said. Recently elected Iowa Republican attorney Brenna Byrd has proposed legislation that would make the sale of a controlled substance, not counting marijuana, resulting in death or serious injury, to be punishable by a Class B felony. Currently, there are no heightened penalties in the state law if a death occurs, while Iowa maintains one of the lowest overdose death rates in the country. Reynolds said Iowa still is experiencing unacceptable trends. Opioid-related deaths in Iowa reached a record high 258 in 2021, up 64% compared with 2019, with the largest increase occurring among young Iowans under 25, according to the Governor's Office of Drug Control Policy. Illicit fentanyl was implicated in 83% of the most recent deaths. Streamlining Government Reynolds also proposes merging 37 executive cabinet agencies to 16. She said Arkansas, Mississippi, and Oklahoma all have populations and budgets similar to Iowa, but just 15 cabinet members each. Quote, the result is unnecessary friction for Iowans, with services spread unpredictably across state government. Eleven agencies currently operate some kind of workforce program. More than 100 professional licensing functions are spread across 11 agencies. And these are just two of the most glaring examples, she said. Democratic Reaction Democrats criticized Reynolds for pushing what they see as an extreme agenda they argue is unpopular and out of touch with what a majority of Iowans want, based on public polling. Quote, every poll that we've seen suggests Iowans want fully funded public schools, Matt Sinovic, Executive Director of Progress Iowa said during the People's Condition of the State event at the Capitol, ahead of Reynolds' address. Quote, the people believe in our public schools, hard work, and that the wealthy should pay what they owe and can invest in each other, Sinovic said. Quote, unfortunately, the people's voice is not being represented by Governor Reynolds, unquote. Iowa House and Senate Democrats and the Iowa State Education Association, a teachers' union in Iowa, say Reynolds's school choice proposal will pull critical resources from public schools and limit course offerings, lead to larger class sizes, and force more school consolidations. Connie Ryan, executive director of Interfaith Alliance of Iowa Action Fund, noted private schools lack the same requirements and obligations as public schools, which are required to accept all students, regardless of their background and educational needs. Quote, overwhelmingly, Iowans do not want their hard-earned tax dollars to be funneled to private schools that are in charge of who gets in and who does not, not the parents. With little oversight or transparency, Ryan said, Iowans want our public schools that are open for all Iowa's children serving without bias to be adequately funded, unquote. House Minority Leader Jennifer Conferst, a Democrat from Windsor Heights, 
noted a vast majority of Iowa public schools are in rural areas with little to no access to private education. Quote, so school choice, parental choice, is a misnomer, Confirst said at the Progress Iowa event. Quote, we are taking away choices from Iowa families who want to send their kids to good, strong, quality public schools, unquote. At the end of the day, remember this. School vouchers are bad for Iowa kids, Confort said. They're bad for Iowa communities, and they're not what Iowa families want, unquote. Reynolds has been Iowa's chief executive since 2017 and is the state's first female governor. Now we have another article under the heading of education. Waverly Shellrock gets one more year in Northeast Iowa Conference. Story filed by Donald Prominence. Dateline Waverly. Waverly Shellrock High School will remain part of the Northeast Iowa Conference for another year, following a mediation agreement. On Monday, the Board of Education voted unanimously to accept the mediation in terms of the agreement. Quote, we were to be done with them this year, and so we're really running out of time to try to find a home for next year. And so we're trying very hard to get a couple of years, and they were willing to do that, said Ed Clamforth, superintendent of Waverly Shellrock Community Schools. They were, however, willing to allow us to stay in for one more year, which is not ideal, but we felt like we had to, unquote. On Sunday, a mediation meeting was held at Central Rivers Area Education Agency in Cedar Falls, where the new agreement was ironed out. Under the terms of the agreement, Waverly Shellrock Schools will remain a member of the NEIC through the 2023-24 school year. After that, its membership will end, and the district will not take any action to extend it. The agreement also states that, apart from conference championships, new members of the NEIC will not be required to compete against the district. Waverly Shellrock's 2021-22 Basic Education Data Survey numbers showed the school with 555 students enrolled in grades 9 through 11, making it the largest in their conference. Other NEIC members have voiced concerns that the district is too large for the conference and voted it out. The new agreement will allow schools greater certainty for the year as officials continue to look for a new conference for the 2024-25 school year. In the meantime, Clamforth said the district will look at different conferences that will be the right match for them, both in size and travel. Clemforth is glad to have the decision made, but he said there is still a lot of work to do. It's a little bit of relief, but that will go away quickly, Clamforth said. We look at it as we've basically got a year, because by this time next year, it'd be nice to have a home just based on what the schedule events and lineup officials and all those sorts of things. In other action, the board approved the scope and estimated budget of just over $7.2 million for renovating Shell Rock Elementary School. The renovations will include new flooring, ceilings, paint, and plumbing to the majority of the building, and will introduce air conditioning to the school. Additionally, the board approved submitting an application for $407,000 in modified supplemental spending authority to the school budget review committee, 
to fund programs for at-risk students during the 2023-24 school year. If approved, the funding would come from property taxes. Another $135,769 would come from the district's general fund as a 25% match. District documents say the funding will serve 298 students who are returning or are potential dropouts. Also under the heading of education, we have Waterloo School Board Approves Free Eye Exam Program Funds. Story filed by Maria Cooper, Dateline Waterloo. Students will continue to literally see changes in Waterloo Community Schools classrooms. The Board of Education Monday unanimously approved $25,000 in federal elementary and secondary school emergency relief funding for Vision to Learn, which will be used for vision care during this academic year. Vision to Learn is a program that provides free eye exams and glasses to students who need them. The organization has partnered with Waterloo Schools since 2017, examining the eyes of 1,625 students and prescribing glasses for 1,393. Corrine Kroger, the Iowa Regional Director for Vision to Learn, said the nonprofit has raised $76,000 philanthropically, but the ESSER funding provided by the district will help provide care to about 135 more students than otherwise would be served this year. She said the goal of the program is to reduce barriers to families and students who need vision care. Quote, it's very humbling because our kiddos don't know that they can't see clearly, so they can't articulate, Kroger said to the school board. Some of the older students know how much glasses cost. It's such important work, unquote. She said first children get screened to see whether they need an exam or not. Then any student who requires the next step of an exam would receive communication to their home and be provided with options. Options include using local care or using the vision to learn resources. A mobile clinic then comes to the school with optometric equipment, a licensed Iowa optometrist, and a selection of over 200 glasses frames. Two weeks later, the mobile clinic comes back, and every student is fit with their new glasses. The students get two pairs, one for home and one for school. One of the pairs has a one-year warranty. This year, six schools are currently being screened. The schools rotate on a yearly basis. If a child needs screening and isn't in one of the schools, arrangements can be set up for the child to visit the other school. Vision to Learn started as a national nonprofit in 2012. A Dubuque chapter opened in 2016 and provides care to 13 counties. The board also gave approval for West High School's dance team to travel to a national competition in Orlando, Florida. Fourteen students will compete in the dance team dance team nationals on February 9th through the 13th. Dance team coach Miranda Koch said after the team competed at state, a representative from the DTU came up to her and complimented the team on its enthusiasm and positivity. The representative then said the organization wanted to support Coke financially and provided the dance team with a $20,000 scholarship to go to the Nationals. Quote, these kids are trained to think they don't have opportunities available to them, and I think it will shift gears, Coke said.
I think being exposed to the highest level of competition is going to change the game for them. The scholarship will pay for flights and competition registration. About $5,000 will come out of the dance team's budget for bus transportation to and from the airport. The school board also approved the following. The purchase and installation of playground equipment for Kingsley Elementary School at a cost of $156,100. The playground is expected to be installed in the fall. It is being paid for with money from the physical plant and equipment levy. A contract with H2I Group in the amount of $58,900 for removing the old swimming pool bleachers at Central Middle School and installing new ones. The 60-foot-long by 6-foot-wide bleachers will seat about 180 people in five rows. They can mechanically retract when not in use. And a $2,500 donation from Shields to benefit athletic programs at East High. Next, we have the story that appears at the top of the front page today. 3.3% spending boost proposed. Reynolds's $8.5 billion budget is a starting point to set spending for next year. Story filed by Aaron Murphy of the Courier's Des Moines Bureau. Dateline Des Moines. The state would spend just shy of $8.5 billion in the coming budget year, an increase of 3.3% over current spending, under a proposal made Tuesday by Governor Kim Reynolds. The governor's office unveiled her budget proposal as she also delivered her annual condition of state address to the Iowa legislature. Reynolds will send to those same lawmakers her proposal for the state budget year that starts July 1st. The proposal includes $107 million for a new private school assistance program and 2.5% increases in funding for K-12 public schools, public universities, and community colleges. According to the governor's office, Reynolds' proposal would leave a $2 billion unspent balance in the state's general fund budget. Reynolds' proposed spending would break down as 56.4% going to education, 26.5% to health care programs, 9.5% to the state's judicial and justice systems, and 7.6% to other areas, according to the governor's office. Reynolds also proposed boosting spending on a Republican-created program for pregnant women from 500000 to $1.5 million. Quote, when fully operational, this statewide network of nonprofits will connect women with pregnancy support services, including safety net resources, housing assistance, and recovery and mental health treatment, Reynolds said during her condition of the state address, according to prepared remarks. One noteworthy absence from the governor's budget proposal is costs associated with reductions in property tax revenue. State House Republicans have pledged to address property taxes in some form this session, but Reynolds is not presenting a proposal. State lawmakers eventually will get involved in the state budget process by passing legislation. Typically, near the end of the legislative session, the respective leaders in the House and Senate will work with Reynolds' staff to reach agreement on the budget. Reynolds and legislative Republicans, who have agenda-setting majorities in both chambers, allocated $8.2 billion for the current state budget year. 
Now we turn the page to the Cedar Valley section and the headline, Ernst Visits Boys and Girls Club. Joni Ernst tours Boys and Girls Clubs of the Cedar Valley and answers teens' questions. Story filed by Andy Malone. Dateline, Waterloo. The teens at Tuesday's after-school program at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Cedar Valley had questions for U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, and she had answers. Ernst took her first tour of the Teen and Educational Center on East 4th Street. Brian Burton, Interim Chief Executive Officer, was there along with George Phillips, the center's director, and their staff and board. Ernst visited with them about the club's programming and facility over the decades, including the ever-popular gymnasium, before heading upstairs for a classroom area where about 25 kids were waiting to greet and learn from her. Quote, Coming to the Boys and Girls Club, it's about understanding what they do for the community and the impact that it will make not only on this generation, but future generations as well, said Ernst. Sam Edmondson, a Youth of the Year recipient, leapt right into action and told Ernst how he wants to be a teacher someday and asked for her thoughts on improving public education system. She responded that the best solutions come from the local levels of government. That got the ball rolling, as there was no shyness from the teens, who asked questions ranging from whether she needs a degree to run for office to how she deals with the stress of the job. The senator also explained her upbringing in Iowa and other points along her life's journey, like while with the military. One of the very last questions came from Gianna Phillips about whether Ernst had met President Joe Biden. Ernst explained how she's met multiple presidents and told the story about her first interaction with then-President Barack Obama after she transferred what was at the time an unknown phone number to her voicemail. She did not want to be interrupted while watching a volleyball game. Ernst's visit to Safe Bridge Between School and Home lasted about 90 minutes after a day of visiting high schools and businesses in other parts of Iowa. She will be hosting a 12.30 p.m. Wednesday town hall meeting at the Independence Public Library at 805 East 1st Street, which is open to the public. But back in Washington, D.C., she said she'll be able to emphasize her to her colleagues how important organizations like the Boys and Girls Clubs are by lending support and assistance that some parents can't provide in the evenings and how it gives incredible teams exposure to various potential career fields. Specifically, she noted that the federal government provides a lot of different grant opportunities with funds distributed by the state to organizations like the Boys and Girls Clubs. Burton said one challenge is the minimum amount families pay to come to the club. Families with 6- to 12-year-old children pay $30 each, while the teens pay $10 for their own memberships. Quote, it costs us about $2,000 per kid per year to serve them with what we do, so that $1,990 we have to raise somehow, either through grant funding, local foundations, or private giving, he said. Next, we have a story headlined, UNI Art Gallery Presents Photography Exhibit on Spiritualism. Story written by Courier Staff. 
Dateline is Cedar Falls. The University of Northern Iowa Gallery of Art will present an exhibition titled Seance Photographs by Shannon Taggart starting January 17th. The exhibition was organized by the University of Maryland, Baltimore County in collaboration with the Pensacola Museum of Art. It will run through February 24th. Taggart's photo series, Seance, documents contemporary spiritualist practices and communities in the United States, England, and Europe. Her work examines the relationship of spiritualism to human celebrity, its connections to art, science, and technology, and its intrinsic bond with the medium of photography. An artist and author based in St. Paul, Minnesota, Taggart's photographs have been exhibited and featured internationally, as well as published in Time Magazine, The New York Times, and Newsweek. Her work has also been recognized by Nikon, Magnum Photos, and the Alexia Foundation for World Peace, among others. Taggart will also give a lecture at 6 p.m. on February 8th at Camerick Art Building 111, sponsored in part by the North American Review. A book signing and opening reception will follow. Taggart's exhibition and lecture are free and open to the public. The gallery is open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday, as well as by appointment. It is located on the main floor of Camerick Art Building South. And now, listeners, we want to remind you that you're listening to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, January 11th on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. And now, let's turn to today's obituaries. Robert Roy Freed. Robert Roy Freed was born April 8, 1935, in Blue Ash, Ohio, to Lisetta Swegler and Claude L. Freed, Sr. He graduated from Sycamore High School in 1953 and served for two years in the U.S. Army, stationed in West Germany. On November 25, 1961, Bob married Beverly J. Rankin. Bob always needed to be active, remodeling or fixing things around the house. He enjoyed time with family, attending summer concerts with Bev, and following the Cincinnati Reds and later Waterloo Bucks baseball. Raised in St. John's Evangelical and Reformed Church in Reading, Ohio, he was then a charter member of Evansdale Community Church, Ohio, serving on boards as head usher and sharing many congregational suppers. In later years, he enjoyed being part of Ripley United Church of Christ in Traer, Iowa. He and Bev moved to the Western Home Communities in Cedar Falls, Iowa, in 2011 to be close to family. He passed from this life on January 8, 2023, with family by his side at the Martin Suites of the Western Home Communities. The funeral for Robert will be on Friday, January 13, 2023, at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Western Home Communities Chapel. Periton Wood Chapel of Memories is assisting the family. Cedar Falls. Carl Edwin Shelton 
79, of Cedar Falls, passed away on Sunday, January 8, 2023, at New Aldea Lifescapes. He was born in St. Elmo, Illinois, on September 15, 1943, the son of Edwin, known as Earl, and Helen Buzzard Shelton. Carl graduated from St. Elmo High School in 1961, then attended the Midwest College of Commerce in Pueblo, Colorado. In November 1962, he enlisted in the U.S. Army, serving in the military police in Germany, then in Vietnam. Following an honorable discharge, Carl married Carol May Wisley on August 24, 1968, at Valley View Baptist Church in Cedar Falls. He received additional police training from Hawkeye Institute of Technology and later attended the University of Northern Iowa. Carl worked for the city of Cedar Falls, first as a police officer, then later as an equipment operator, retiring in January of 2000. Carl's memorial service will be at 11 o'clock a.m. on Friday, January 13, 2023, with an hour of visitation prior in the chapel at New Aldea Lifescapes. Casual attire will be most appropriate. Visitation will be the evening from 5 o'clock to 7.30 p.m., and casual attire will be most appropriate. In lieu of flowers, memorials may be directed to Black Hawk County Veterans Administration in Waterloo, Cedar Valley Hospice, or the Shriners Children's Hospitals. Arthur Louis de Serrano was born October 7, 1929, in Macomb Township, Michigan the son of Ray and Eugenia Domongolski de Serrano. He was married to Joan May Burt on August 20, 1949, in Waterloo, Iowa. She preceded him in death on June 10, 2015. Arthur was an independent contractor of his own trucking company. He spent a lot of time working and working on his trucks. He enjoyed fishing and music. At times, he would host music gatherings at his shop. Arthur also liked his dogs and bowling. Arthur passed away on Saturday, January 7, 2023, at his home at the age of 93. Memorials may be directed to Cedar Valley Hospice. Visitation for Arthur will be Thursday, January 12, 2023, from 9 o'clock a.m. to 10 o'clock a.m. at Parrot and Wood Chapel of Memories, 965 Home Plaza, Waterloo. Services will be Thursday, January 12, 2023, at 10 o'clock a.m. at Periton Wood Chapel of Memories, 965 Home Plaza, Waterloo. Burial will be in the Garden of Memories Cemetery. Arrangements are with Periton Wood Chapel of Memories. Their phone number is area code 319-232-3235, and condolences may be left at www.parrotandwood.com. Next in Cedar Falls, Emily Ann Huffman, 37, of Cedar Falls, died Tuesday, January 3, 2023, at her home. She was born September 25, 1985, in Cedar Falls, the daughter of Jan and Regina Abbott Hoffman. She graduated from Cedar Falls High School in 2004 and worked in hospitality. Emily is survived by her children, 
Clayton, Alex, Levi, Bella, Eli, and Emmy, parents Jan and Regina Huffman, sisters Aubrey, spouse Brian, Ledgy, Amy, spouse Scott, Albanese, and Amanda, spouse Nick, Crithers, grandmother Patty Peterson, grandparents Cody and Candy Abbott, and many aunts, uncles, and cousins. She was loved by many for her fiery personality, protective friendship, and fun-loving nature. She was quick to laughter and thrived in exciting environments. Her family loved her deeply and will miss her immensely. Funeral services will be at 11 o'clock a.m. Saturday, January 14, 2023, at Trinity Bible Church in Cedar Falls. Visitation is from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock p.m. Friday at Richardson Funeral Service. The service will also be live-streamed at their website. Memorials may be directed to the GoFundMe page set up in honor of her children to help provide assistance with their future needs in loving memory of Emily Huffman. Online condolences may be left at www.richardsonfuneralservice.com. Next, in Waterloo, Kathleen Ann Hansen, 97, of Waterloo, passed away Monday, January 9th, at her home. She was born on October 21, 1925, in rural Remsen Meadow Township, on the family farm, to Michael and Ann Barbara Gerens Klein. She married Ambrose John Hansen at St. Mary's Catholic Church in Remsen, Iowa, on November 12, 1946. They lived in Remsen after they married, but moved to Waterloo in November of 1956. He preceded her in death on April 4th in the year 2000. Kathleen received most of her education in country school, but for the three months prior to her First Holy Communion and the year prior to her Solemn Communion, attended St. Mary's School in Remsen, Iowa. Kathleen worked for the Waterloo Schools and was well known for her peanut brittle, which she sold for many years at Christmas, rug weaving, and crocheting family names. She fondly remembers quilting with her mother and enjoyed many crafts. Services for Kathleen will be at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, January 14th, at St. Edward's Catholic Church, with burial in Mount Olivet Cemetery. Public visitation will be from 4 until 7 p.m. Friday at Haggerty Weichoff Grarup Funeral Service on South Street, where there will be a 4 o'clock p.m. Catholic Daughters of the Americas Rosary and a 7 o'clock p.m. Vigil. Visitation will continue for one hour before services at the church on Saturday. Memorials are to Cedar Valley Hospice or St. Edward's Catholic Church. Online condolences may be left at www.haggertywechoffgrarup.com. Now, here the courier lists four death notices, and they include Margaret I. Fischels, 90, of Independence, died Saturday, January 7, 2023, at the Buchanan County Health Center in Independence. Arrangements are with the Rife Family Center Funeral Home and Crematory and Raymond Ray Hoffman, Jr., 95, of Waterloo, died Monday, January 9, 2023, at home. 
Arrangements are with Haggerty Weichoff Grara Funeral Service and Karen Louise Lanfier, 78, of Fayette, died Monday, January 9, 2023. Arrangements are with Jameson Smith's Funeral Home and Carl Edwin Sheldon, 79, of Cedar Falls, died Sunday, January 8, 2023, at New Aldea Lifescapes of Cedar Falls. Arrangements for Carl are with Dahl Van Hoof Schoof Funeral Home of Cedar Falls. Now let's turn to today's opinion section. This opinion column comes to us from the New York Times and was written by Charles M. Blow. The Republicans are putting Trump out to pasture. Many families have a grandfather or an uncle who, in his prime, was the patriarch, the family's force and compass. His counsel was sought and heeded. He was treated with the utmost respect and deference. But, as the years passed, his power waned, his acuity dulled, his admonitions began to sound archaic. The family reordered itself, so another man or woman became the leader, and the grandfather or uncle was demoted, without any former proclamation, but by familial inertia, to a kind of elder emeritus. The family still loves him and honors him, but they also regularly tune him out or ignore him. He was integral to the family's journey, but is now only incidental to its future. This is what is happening to Donald Trump in the Republican Party, a dynamic underscored by the disastrous speaker battle in the House of Representatives. Donald Trump is essentially being put out to pasture. Not only is there no love lost between him and Mitch McConnell, the minority leader in the Senate. In September, Trump accused McConnell of hating him. Kevin McCarthy, his choice for Speaker of the House, was blocked for days by some of Trump's most ardent and outrageous acolytes. Trump's calls to holdouts didn't immediately quell their opposition. Before one of the votes for Speaker, Representative Lauren Boebert of Colorado, a woman who once said that Trump was called by God to run for president and was, quote, anointed for that position, rebuked Trump and McCarthy, giving Trump instructions rather than taking his. She told her fellow Republicans in the House, quote, let's work together. Let's stop with this campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, quote, sir, you do not have the votes, and it's time to withdraw, unquote. Talk about damning with faint praise. She suggested that Trump wasn't even operating on his own convictions, but was being told what to do by the Republican House leadership. It sounded laudatory, even loving, but it was a cutting reprimand, the way we Southerners say, bless your heart, with a smile, but dripping in disdain. At one point during the voting, Representative Matt Gates of Florida almost mockingly nominated Trump for Speaker. The Speaker doesn't necessarily have to be a member of the House. Gates had been a furious Trump defender, but he recently tweeted after Trump urged him to fall in line behind McCarthy, quote, Supporting McCarthy is the worst human resources decision President Trump has ever made. Sad, unquote. Trump has suffered a staggering string of losses, most recently watching voters reject many of the candidates he endorsed 
during the midterms and the speakership battle, which ended in McCarthy ceding so much power that he essentially is a speaker in name only, was another loss for Trump, because it exposed the fact that his devotees no longer mindlessly follow his directions. Trump knows better than most that loss lingers on a person like a rancid odor. Trump, like every other president, had a moment, but now the sun is setting on that moment. The country and his own party are drifting away from him. He is shrinking in open view. But if Trump is not the leader of his party now, who is? By default, even if diminished, he retains the title, even without the power. So, in a way, the Republican Party is a runaway chariot. No one fully controls it. The party became so anti-establishment and pro-iconoclast that it actually came to reject institutional procedure and tenured professionalism. You can only operate so long with a throw-the-bums-out mentality before you run out of bums and realize that you're left with no one to replace them but scoundrels. The people who ground the workings of the house to a halt are the progeny of Trump's chaos. In Greek mythology, Kronos, who had overthrown his father Uranus, learned that one of his children was destined to do the same to him. So he ate them all. But his sixth child, Zeus, came along and was hidden by Zeus's mother. When Zeus was older, he forced Kronos to disgorge his siblings, and together, Kronos's children overthrew their father. The Republican Party and Trump himself are also caught in this loop. They topple their party's establishment every few years, only to become the establishment in need of toppling. The party has completely lost sight of the values of wisdom and service, of paying one's dues and working one's way up. For it, every cycle is a revolution and a war. In the long run, this is bad for the party and for the country. But in the short run, it's even worse for Trump. His protégés are coming to either overthrow him or put him out to pasture, and there is precious little he can do to stop them. Next, we have an opinion piece written by Paul Krugman of the New York Times, How to Destroy a Brand, Musk Style. True story. When I won the Nobel Prize in 2008, Princeton quickly set up a special event on campus and reserved a parking space for me in front of Robertson Hall. But when I drove up in my 2004 Jetta, the security people frantically tried to wave me away. They clearly didn't find it plausible that a laureate would be driving such a modest car. I'm still driving that car today. The point is that I'm not one of those people who cares much about what he drives. No doubt, I act out my egotism in other ways, but many people do, in fact, use their cars to symbolize their status, indeed, their identity. There's no point being censorious. Conspicuous consumption is a very human thing, going back as far as civilization itself. Over time, however, the form has changed. These days, it's relatively hard to tell how rich people are by the clothes they wear, which gives other status markers like cars a more important role. Also in modern times, people use consumer goods to display their values as well as their wealth. A fancy pickup truck sends one kind of message. A Tesla sends another. And yes, speaking of Tesla, Today's newsletter is partly about Elon Musk. As I wrote in my last newsletter, 
The main reason to believe that Tesla's huge market value doesn't make sense has little to do with Musk's antics at Twitter. The problem instead is that Tesla's dominance of the electric vehicle market is already fading as we speak, so the company is unlikely to generate the kind of extraordinary long-term profits that would justify its stock price. That said, Musk has indeed been acting very oddly, and in ways that seem almost perfectly calculated to drive away his best customers. After all, what does it mean to buy a Tesla? It's a luxury car, but there are other luxury cars. What's special about Tesla is that it's an electric, zero-emission luxury car, one that purports to be a glitzy ride to a sustainable future. Also, until just the other day, Musk himself was widely seen as a cool guy, and cool in a futuristic sense. His company sends rockets into outer space. He is living with a popular musician who released an album inspired by the science fiction novel Dune, a book that, by the way, was recently made into a terrific movie. So what message was someone sending by driving a Tesla? Basically, I don't think I'm being unfair. It was, quote, I'm rich, but I'm woke. Mock that stance all you like, but it really did increase Tesla sales. And it means that many Tesla buyers are probably also Democrats. I'm not just guessing here. The other day, a friend of mine who writes under the Namda Internet, Invictus, used New York State data to compare county-level political leanings with Tesla registrations. Sure enough, in 2020, counties that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump, they do exist even in New York, purchased far fewer Teslas per capita than those that voted overwhelmingly for Joe Biden. So, yes, there are a lot of Teslas in Westchester, hardly any in Steuben. To some extent, this may reflect the fact that people in Westchester have more income. But despite what you sometimes hear about the parties reversing class roles lately, Americans with incomes over $100,000 still vote Republican by a fairly large margin. What has reversed is the educational divide. College graduates have become a Democratic bloc, which supports the view that what we might call the Tesla divide is also linked to the culture war, and Westchester has far more college graduates than Steuben does. Tesla, then, is a brand whose consumer base largely consists of wealthy cultural liberals who were attracted in part by Elon Musk's perceived with-it persona. Given all that, Musk's public embrace of MAGA conspiracy theories is an almost inconceivably bad marketing move, practically designed to alienate his main buyers. What's going on? To a large extent, Musk may simply be revealing who he always was, basically a typical technology oligarch. In general, authoritarian instincts and contempt for the little people are a lot more prevalent among the Silicon Valley elite than people realized when information technology still felt cool. Even among his class, however, Musk stands out for his lack of impulse control. This was obvious if you paid attention long before he bought Twitter. More than four years have passed since he called a cave rescuer who rejected Musk's offer of a mini-submarine a pedo guy. Furthermore, Musk's behavior is becoming even more bizarre. A favorite line of mine 
is that people get worse as they grow older because they become more like themselves. Since when do captains of industry respond to random critics by mocking their imagined anatomies? Now, as I wrote in my last newsletter, Tesla was probably headed for a fall eventually, even if Musk had been who his fans imagined him to be. The economics of the electric vehicle business just aren't conducive to long-term market domination. But Musk might have been able to postpone the day of reckoning, at least for a while, if he had managed to hide who he was from his best customers a little longer. Now our next editorial was written by Art Cullen of the Storm Lake Times Pilot, and it's titled, GOP Has Nothing to Say. Too bad that the Republican governor and legislative leaders declined to participate in the traditional legislative preview forum with the Iowa Capitol Press Association. They must have nothing to say ahead of the legislative session that gavels in on January 9th that we don't already know. They want to cut property taxes, watch out cities and counties, ban abortion, pander to corporations, and squeeze public education. Republicans hold big majorities in the House and Senate. Senate-elect Lynn Evans and Representative Megan Jones barely had to campaign, holding no public forums we are aware of, either before the general election or since. It doesn't matter that much, because the GOP is going to do what it's going to do, regardless of the public. We cannot recall the last time Reynolds held a press conference. Previous governors held them weekly, until the press became the fake media. The Senate last year kicked reporters off their press bench on the floor, upstairs to the peanut gallery. The governor's office typically does not respond to our questions, unlike any administration before. Fair enough. It's their game. They get to set the rules of debate. That there will be none. Matters will get decided behind caucus doors. School vouchers. Expanding gun rights. Holding off any regulations aimed at clean water or soil protection. Tax shifts that favor certain classes of property. What to do if the Supreme Court strikes down the fetal heartbeat abortion ban? These matters are not up for public consideration. They will be decided by the leaders of the House and Senate in quiet consultation with the governor. A statement will be issued in due course after the decision is rendered. So long as the party base concurs, this is how things are done in a one-horse state. When you have nothing to say, it suggests that you have no vision for Iowa. You may think that sort of arrogance can last until the public tires of it, like when you actually ban abortion. Even if you're quiet about it, the message still seeps through. Now let's turn to the Metro Briefs column. Beef and Noodle Dinner Saturday, Waterloo. A beef and noodle dinner is from 4 o'clock to 6.30 p.m. Saturday at St. Paul's United Methodist Church, 207 West Louise Street. The all-you-can-eat dinner features beef and noodles, potatoes, coleslaw, and beverages served as plated meal, plus choice of dessert. Cost is $11 for adults and $5 for children under 12. The church is one block south of Unity Point Health Allen Hospital. Waterloo Schools closed Monday. Waterloo Schools buildings, including the Education Service Center, will be closed on Monday in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Schools and normal business hours will resume on Tuesday. 
Also, the library in Waterloo is closed for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Impact Church to host free dinner. Waterloo. Impact Church of Hope, 710 Broadway Street, will host its monthly community dinner on Tuesday. Serving is from 4.30 to 6 o'clock p.m. The meal is free. Call the church with questions at area code 319-233-7664. And now, friends, that's going to do it for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Wednesday, January 11th. I'm your volunteer reader, Bob Young. Remember, you can access a recording of today's reading and the other newspapers that we record on our website, iowaradioreading.org, at any time. And we want to thank you for listening to your IRIS, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. 